Welcome to Latinx Like Me, the show where we embrace how beautifully diverse our community is while also celebrating the things that unite us. I'm your host, Emma Cardenas, a first-generation Mexican-American born and raised in LA. Moving to a new country is never easy, but imagine moving to a country where you don't know anyone and you don't speak the language. Today's guest, Donahi Mejia, had that experience after moving to Miami from Nicaragua at the age of 11. We discuss what that was like and how she settled into her new life. We also talk about Donahi's time in the Air Force, delicious Nicaraguan dishes, and her current company's mission of creating powerful branding for businesses owned by women of color. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this and, and taking the time to do it. Yeah, thank um, you for really, inviting me. I'm so yeah, excited. I really appreciate it. But I guess let's start with, I think this is funny and this is definitely going to be a common story for a lot of people. I feel like moving <laughs> forward, but we met on Clubhouse yeah. <laughs> yes. a couple days yeah. ago. Um, can you tell everyone what like Clubhouse is? <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, Clubhouse, the way that I think about it is if you remember chat rooms <laughs> back in the day um, where you would you know find a topic of interest and then you join that chat room and meet a bunch of people. So it's kind of like that, except that it's just voice only. So when you join these quote unquote rooms, all you see is like people's profile pictures and usually have like a moderator or two. Um, And then at the top of the screen, there's like where they hang out. And then anything below that is all the people that are listening. So it's just an app that's voice only. And uh, yeah, it's, it's good for like, just meeting new people, having conversations about all kinds of different things. And the cool thing is that um, it's you, there's no pressure on like what you look like or anything like that. There's no like badges of influencers or, you know, that sort of thing. So it's like you don't everyone seems the same mm-hmm. <laughs> until you start getting to know people and listening to, to them speak. And then you realize, oh, this person's really good at this or whatever. So you can have anything from, um, I don't know, venture capital people to, you know, solopreneurs or people that work for different industries, actors, singers, celebrities. So yeah, it's really an an interesting app. I feel like something I've been using it for a lot is to connect with the Latinx community. Yes, me too. Um, Which it's been really cool. Like I feel Mm -hmm. like almost every conversation I like, am in like brujeria comes up which i think is easy (laughs) (laughs) i was in the other day it was like we just there was one someone on there who like a bruja you know a healer and um everyone was just asking her questions and turning you know like what about this or what about this it was amazing (laughs) Like, maybe she's tired to like stop stop asking her maybe questions. she's tired yeah <laughs> wait I don't even remember what was the one that we met on I, I maybe don't. it was was it a marketing one maybe oh I don't I don't know I've been in were so- you in the one that was uh Latinas helping other Latinos yes yeah I've been in a couple of those which I really like maybe it was that one because that was like my first Latina room and it was funny because, or no, that was my second one. It was interesting because I think that was the Chingona AF mm-hmm. club. Yeah. 
and I had seen that club before and the reason I didn't join it was because I thought that was like a Mexican only oh, like club but then I saw that topic headline and I was like oh I guess they speak about all kinds of different things so then I joined <laughs> the room yeah I think that came up in um in one of the chats the other day that Mandy the woman who started the Chingona AF club yes I guess Chingona is a it's a Mexican word term yeah yeah and then I I just popped in and I was like oh my god number one I didn't know that was like Mexican specific which is <laughs> hilarious and number two just like Spanish is so diverse and the slang amongst the you the know slang, yeah. Latin countries <laughs> like uh, my favorite <laughs> is the word coger oh really <laughs> the Spanish from Spain no because it means a million different things in Latin America. Oh. <laughs> like that's so true in Mexico it means to fuck oh in but, Spanish too like but, Spain is Spanish yes yes exactly but then in um I think in like Argentina it just means like to grab yeah like I'm I mean gonna, I think that's the general I'm gonna, Spanish. yeah I'm gonna grab this you know whatever but yeah it's so when someone first said that I was like <gasps> okay <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh no, they're, they're okay. I get it. I get how you're using it, but my mind immediately went to. Oh gosh, that's so <laughs> funny. Oh yeah, I yes, I love love the slang. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that was a great place to just meet, you know, a bunch of different people, and it was really nice because I feel like something that that really unites us as, you know, Latinx, whether you're, you immigrated to the States or you're from here, you know, whatever, um, is I feel like we have such a sense of community, mm -hmm. um, at least amongst our own, like, I feel like a lot of Mexicans, you know, that's a very close community, but I feel like we could do better at, at integrating amongst ourselves, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Instead of, being so separate and so that's something that I really liked about that room because it was you know there's like you're from Nicaragua I'm you know Mexican-American there were some Dominican people on there Puerto Ricans and everyone it was literally a room where like this is what I do if anyone has any questions I feel love free, that. you know and I literally from that like you know had a couple of calls like two people um I think that's where ours kind of came from yeah. like our initial connection and you know someone was like oh I'm like I'm launching this business or like I, I want to do better on social media for my business. And I was like more than happy to give you a few tips. And they reached out to me on, um, on Instagram and we set up a zoom and I was like, here's a couple of things you can do. Um, so yeah, I think like that was really fun. And it's really fun for me to just like help other, you know, Latinx people. So I, yeah. like <laughs> I, I met somebody else too there. I think, I think I must have made maybe like three contacts from that chat. It was just so cool. I just loved, yeah, how everybody was kind of really there to help. Like, yeah. To just provide some sort of um, service or um, tips. Yeah, know, and it was people. very much like no, <clears throat> no strings attached. I don't expect anything back from you. Right. I think that's what made it really, really lovely. So I hope that essence remains in Clubhouse, you know, especially as it gets bigger. But so far, at least with the Latinx community on there, like that's that's the experience I've had. Just like friendly people, and like it's nice that we can dive into random ass jokes in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, so that's how we connected initially. And I was like, I let's talk. I think this is going to be great. Um, and I think I told you, I was like, I don't think I've met anyone from Nicaragua. So I'm like really excited to dive in. But I guess let's start um, at the beginning. So you were born and raised in in Nicaragua until you're about 11, right before you guys yeah. migrated to the States. Do you, like, what do you remember about growing up in Nicaragua? Um, I, yeah, I remember. So I remember our house, our neighborhood. I remember what it was like to play with, I had my, my best friend lived right in front of, in front of our house across the street. So we would always be at each other's house. I remember playing outside in our um, little front porch and um, my parents got divorced when I was six. So I would go and see my dad, you know, ever so often. Then he would take me to my cousin's house, who was also my best friend at that time. And, you know, that was really fun for me because I didn't <clears throat> my brothers and everybody else is like. I'm the baby of the whole family, so okay. it's not like I had anybody at home to play with, but I had plenty of friends around the neighborhood. Mm. And, uh, you know, we just spent a lot of time outside in those days. Like, yeah, we just be out and then you're here. You'll hear your your parent like whistle and everybody had their own like whistle, you know, and you'd be like, <laughs> you know, somebody around the neighborhood would be like, hey, uh, didn't I hear your dad's calling you? And I'm like, OK you know <laughs> or like my brother's like hey they're calling you so you you could um people would learn that too and it's like what your parents whistle would sound like when you had to go home that's amazing wait what part of um Nicaragua are you from Managua okay <clears throat> the city yeah the city I something I learned that and I'll just give like quick facts about Nicaragua and then I have a very interesting question for you okay <laughs> so just briefly for anyone who's not familiar Nicaragua is in Central America um, it has two coasts so it's you know a bi-coastal um, place there's a lot of volcanoes there 19 yes. active volcanoes um, but a lot of most of the population does live on the west so Managua um, and over on the west because the the east is a lot more dense um, rainforest right um, and then it's predominantly mestizo. There's about 20 indigenous uh, indigenous communities there. Um, fun, maybe not so fun, but timely fact is that America occupied Nicaragua in the 1920s. Yeah. And then that's where um, I guess the, the origin of the Sandinistas is Sandino's army led the resistance against um, the states. And now the Sandinistas is the social party our socialist party in um, Nicaragua. But here is my question. <laughs> I learned that there are no street names or postal codes in oh, Nicaragua. Yeah. yeah. So the way addresses <laughs> are based on direction and distance yes. from landmarks. And when I heard that, I was watching a, a video, I was like, how, how does that work? So I literally went on to Google Maps and I just started clicking on businesses and looking at their address. I found one. Oh my um, God, please read it. Pulperia Margarita. Fun fact, Pulperia is a grocery store. Yeah, it's like a little convenience store. That I was like, Pulperia, I think of pulpe, which is a drink, like an alcoholic drink ah, in Mexico. Which I was like, I kept seeing Pulperia. I was like, what the fuck is that? So <laughs> I just learned it's a grocery store. So there's a new one. The address 
<laughs> you can't wait for you to read this. <laughs> it's Barrio Camilo Ortega Terminal 105, 2C al sur. One, dos, cuad dos cuadras. Dos cuadras al sur, una cuadra abajo, una cuadra <laughs> sur. It's literally fucking directions. <laughs> what is happening? Then, it's so funny. They also said it was like, it's distance from landmarks and some landmarks no longer exist. Yes. <laughs> it's it's a complete disaster. And it's it's like, if you're not from there, you have no idea. Or if you haven't spent any time, you have no idea where to go. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, you have to know really well your direction, like yours is north, you know, southeast, west. Mm -hmm. And uh, you also have to know where the lake is because the lake is a huge landmark. Okay. Um, and, um, but, but yeah, it's funny because it'll be like two, two blocks to the north, three blocks to the east, half a block to the east or west or whatever it is. Okay. And then it'll be like, sometimes it'll start with like from where you know doña rosita's pharmacy used to be uh you know three blocks south you know <laughs> or it's like from restaurante whatever you know five blocks west you know so it's just like this mixture of like i think it's if the landmark was there for a significant amount of time uh -huh. where like nobody will ever forget <laughs> It probably becomes like, you know, part of the address. It's just, it's really funny. Yeah. Wow. I mean, to me, that was just like, this is the best <laughs> fact in the world. Like, like it's just, that is amazing. So, okay. How, <clears throat> how is it? I mean, I guess to you, like, that's, that's how you grew up. That's how you learn how to write addresses. Does I mean, confusing. <laughs> It's confusing. Like, I mean, I think even they know that everybody knows that it's just weird and confusing. <laughs> but I mean, if you if that's all you know, that's all you know. Right. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it's weird. I don't even know how. Like, I never send pack. You don't really send packages from here unless it's like you know through DHL or whatever service. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, but I don't even know how packages get. They, I think you have to go pick it up in person. Wow. Because I don't think they deliver it to the house. Like, I think you have to go pick it up at some sort of agency or whatever, right? Um, a letter, I don't even know how it gets there from here. I've sent, I've sent letters to my dad. Um, so, yeah, I don't know how long it takes, but. <laughs> I, I mean, I was just floored. I think that is fascinating. Um, yeah, so thank you for confirming that is in fact <laughs> true. Yeah. Um, I am curious because you did move as you guys migrated to Miami um, when you were 11. What were the any big adjustments that you remember just being like, was there culture shock? And I guess another question is, did you speak English when you came here? or Did you learn it here? I spoke nothing. I think like the only word I knew was like, hello and like cat i don't know how i knew those words <laughs> um but uh yeah it was it was it was there was a lot of culture shock i so when i came my mom i was one of my brothers and i and then my mom was living at the moment with um 
my uncle, my aunt, and my two cousins mm -hmm. in like a three bedroom apartment. So we all lived there together for a while. I think six months later, I think, we moved to Lake Worth, Florida with another aunt and uncle of mine and their kids. <clears throat> and yeah, so it was really tough because I, I didn't speak Spanish. I mean, sorry, I speak English. Mm -hmm. I went to school. So thankfully it was Miami where most people in Miami speak Spanish mm -hmm. primarily. You could live there your whole life and never speak, speak a word of English mm -hmm. and you'd be totally fine. Yeah. But uh, in school, I think that was the hardest part is school because I didn't I don't remember having any teachers that spoke Spanish other than my ESL teacher. So I remember having a hard time with understanding what the hell was going on in class. And thankfully, you, you know, because you're in ESL class, you do uh, meet other kids that are in your the same boat. Mm -hmm. So you get to make friends and you know hopefully you end up with one of them in your classes and you can like team up and stuff but mm -hmm. yeah it was really hard it was really hard and then also it was really hard to like move into other people's home mm -hmm. you know my aunt my uncle who i didn't know and my cousins who i didn't know who spoke primarily um my cousins i mean spoke primarily um english even though they, they did speak spanish but um that was really hard too because they weren't like my friends then, you know, it was just right. like, yeah, it's a, it was, it was hard. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm curious, do they teach you English in ESL or how does ESL work? Yeah. They teach you English. Okay. Yeah. So for anybody that doesn't speak English, you end up mm -hmm. in this English class. Gotcha. But you learn English there. Okay. Yeah, I feel like I was talking to my sister the other day and she came over here, I, maybe around the same age, maybe a little older, um, not speaking English. Mm -hmm. And she's like, in ESL, they didn't teach us English. They, like, I don't know what they did. I should have asked her <laughs> what exactly. What? I think they just like, but it wasn't like an English class. I think they were just kind of like, help you get by or something. But, oh. which is why I was like, well, let me ask what your experience was. And it's really interesting that in a place like, you know, Florida, or at least Miami, where yes, there's a, you know, big um, Latin American population. And, you know, I think it's, I think Miami has, or like outside of Nicaragua, the US has the most Nicaraguans um, uh, with a big, a in big, Miami? Yeah, a big chunk of them. I would say Miami and here, I think. Oh, really? San Francisco, perhaps. I would say those two places. Yeah. I would guess. That's my <laughs> guess. But it's because <laughs> I know there's a huge Nicaraguan population here. Oh, okay. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. It's curious that none of your teachers spoke Spanish in Miami where there's a big Spanish speaking. I know. Right. I mean, that's what my memory tells me, which yeah. is not great. <laughs> I think uh, there was a lot going on at that time. That was really, everything was new Yeah. and it was hard that, um, as far as that, I just remember there were moments in classes, specifically like math and science, where I was just like, I don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. I don't know what they're talking about. And nobody's trying to help me out. And I remember going into, I don't know if it was like one of the first times I stepped into school or what, but trying to figure out where my class was. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
gosh, the whole system now that I think about it is just so messed up. Like you think you'd have somebody who'd like guide you around, but they're like, here is your paper, here are classes, go figure it out. Yeah, here's Meanwhile, you don't know anyone. Mm. Um, anyway, but I just remember trying to find where my class was and going into the wrong class, sitting down and then realizing, wait a minute, <laughs> I'm in the wrong class. But then I didn't know where to go. And I, I don't know why anybody else didn't help me like mm -hmm. school as students when I, I know there's like tons of people that speak Spanish. Uh, I just remember leaving. I don't know if I cried, but I just remember feeling so defeated. Like, oh, this is going to be hard. Like, this is so confusing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's weird. So I don't know if it's my memory, but I do remember there's a lot of confusion. Yeah, I, that's, I mean, God, I can't even think about it. Like that just sounds so rough, like to throw a kid into that totally. situation. And, and yeah, you would think a school would be a little more caring and, you know, kind of, but that's, that's just not. They're probably like, that's not our problem. Like yeah, you exactly. came here, you figured it out. <laughs> so crazy. Um, how long did it take you to like, when you're younger, it's a lot easier to, to pick up languages, but how long would you say it took you to, to really learn English and be able to start to carry conversation and like make friends and all of that? I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess about six months where I, I started understanding a little bit more because I remember my cousins would help me at the same time, make fun of me. <laughs> they'll <laughs> laugh now because they'll, they'll remember what I'm talking about. But, um, uh, because you're so immersed, you know, you're mm -hmm. in school, you're watching everything in English. My cousins spoke English most of the time. Their friends spoke English, even though they knew how to speak Spanish. Yeah. So it's like English is everywhere. Yeah. So it's, when you're a kid, you know, it's so much easier to absorb and retain. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I would guess probably six months, if not a little bit less, where I started picking things up. Uh, or at least saying words that I knew what they meant and started integrating them into my vocabulary. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you, did your um, schooling suffer at all with like that, like in that six month period or were you able to, to like catch up and, and stay on track with, with your grade? I was able to stay, stay. Oh, nice. Because you, awesome. you go into right where you left off. Mm -hmm. um, but that, that's actually an interesting question because I'm, I'm wondering how I got through some of those classes where I was like, I don't understand. Oh, you know what? Now that I remember, um, I think there were people in class who helped you figure out. Um, wow, you just dug something that was deep in there, Emma. <laughs> I do remember there were people in there like for the kids that didn't really speak English to at least tell you what was going on and also what the homework is supposed to be. Mm, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So I think that probably helped. Yeah. Cause I mean, you would think if you're, you know, drop someone into where they don't understand what's happening, like my mind immediately goes to how on earth are they supposed to keep up with yeah. like this, maybe, maybe math because it's numbers, sure, that may be easier, but you know, what about science where you have to understand context or, you know, English and grammar and writing and, and all of that stuff. Like that's just, 
I would assume that's why some people get held back a year totally. because, you know, if you're trying to learn the language first and then understand. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. That's great that they at least had that. Yeah. Um, for some I honestly don't even know. I don't know how I got through that. It's not, it's not in here yet. I mean, it's not in here anymore. <laughs> I know. What do you I like just moved about? on. I was like, I'm well, just going. <laughs> exactly. Um, were you guys integrated into the, like the Nicaraguan um, community in Miami or was it mainly family or did you guys kind of have an outside community as well? Or, may, or maybe not just Nicaraguan, like any other um, Latinos? No, my family is not like community oriented like that. Like they just kind of stick to their family and, you know, um, I think they find community in probably like church mainly. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, but other outside of that, they don't really get, you know, um, they don't socialize with, like, they don't go out to like community events or anything like that. Yeah. So I never really knew that mm -hmm. until as, you know, until probably I moved probably until late, like few years later when I was out, out of Miami, out mm -hmm. of Florida. So that, that wasn't something I knew of like community stuff. Yeah. Or events like that. I never went to any of those things. Gotcha. Yeah. I think that's, you know, that's interesting because some, a lot of people are like, yes, we have a big, you know, community and like, there's always, you know, friends and quinceañeras and like all this stuff that you go mm. to. And, um, and I feel like it, it depends, like not everyone is like that. It's just like not every Latinx person is loud and, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know but I feel like like just looking at my family you know my aunt was definitely more of the you know several different friends like some she met through church some she met I don't know how and like she's always going you know they have a quinceanera this weekend or a wedding this weekend or like someone's birthday this weekend and my mom is definitely more of like just family you know one or two yeah. people she met through like church um when my sister went to to catholic school and and that's kind of it. She keeps it a lot more um, close knit. And I think I, I definitely take after her with like a select group of, of friends, mm -hmm. but, you know, even within the family, like there's those social butterflies that have like all these, and then there's some others. That yes. I just, you know, my, my community is my family, like, you know, aunts, uncles, blah, blah, blah. And that's it. So. Yeah. I feel the same. Also like our family is pretty big mm -hmm. and I mean, it's, also, it's big but it's also like all over the like not just in Florida so uh, but I would say for me personally it was more church because I was like super into church church was my life Monday through Sunday basically oh wow so I did a lot of stuff through church which was a you know Latino Latino church so all was it a Catholic of, church no it was a Baptist oh. church Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. My assumption is always Catholic, but okay. Interesting. Well, I was raised Catholic. I did all the Catholic things. And then when I moved to Miami, I'm when I moved into uh, my cousins, uh, my aunt and uncle's place, they, uh, my cousins went, were into church. They were into church, not, not their parents. Hmm. And so I started going to church with them because that was like the thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> and and then my other aunt was that was that was like I think that was a church that 
she basically brought everybody else into that church. I think that's what happened. Um, so all my cousins went there. My aunts went there. So I obviously went there. Uh, so I kind of grew up in that church from when I got there up until I left. That was about eight years, seven, seven, eight years. Oh, wow. Yeah. All my friends were from that church. I didn't have any other friends outside of that Mm -hmm. and that I hung out with. So my life was that. So that was like my community, which was a mix of all kinds of different uh, countries. Yeah. But mainly, mainly Cuban, but there was a lot of other people. Mm -hmm. Um, That's awesome. That's a great, I feel like that's where, well, I guess to me, it really depends on what your faith is, but that's where um, having a, you know, some sort of faith can be super beneficial when you're going somewhere else. And like, you know, that you have that one ritual and it really opens you up to a whole community, um, that is hopefully welcoming and, and, and is helpful to have. And then from there you can, you know, branch out and and meet more people. Yeah, exactly. Um, are there any, (coughs) excuse me, I'm dying. Are there any um, traditions or, or customs that were a part of your childhood? Oh my gosh, I was thinking about this question. I was like, man, what are the traditions that we have? I couldn't really think of a whole lot other than, you know, like, which I think a lot of Latinas do celebrate, you know, um, on the 24th instead of Christmas Day. Noche Buena. Yeah, yeah Noche Buena and, you know, opening presents at midnight instead of like Christmas morning. Yeah. Um, also like, uh, then if you have an activity set, the baby Jesus is not in there until the 24th yes. at midnight. <laughs> Did you guys do, it's the youngest kid that puts the baby Jesus in? No, we didn't do oh. that. <laughs> it was always the youngest kid and I was like the youngest for a while and then, my cousin Aww. came four years later and I was like, oh, how dare you? Also, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not per, per household. How, no, how well, you... we, we all get together. It's like a big, like, oh, all my so aunts. Cute. And all, well, yeah. And did we have one? We had one, but it wasn't like the, it wasn't like ceremonial or anything. Like yeah. when we, we would all go to this one uncle's house and then later it became a different aunt's. Um, house but we would all go there and like that's when the youngest would put um the baby jesus in the nativity Aww. and then um yeah and so i lost my spotlight <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's funny right now that you mentioned it like yes i love noche buena um on on christmas day like i have chinese food and like go to the movies oh my gosh yeah <laughs> i'm like well my my thing is done or like we'll go and yeah. do the, the recalentado or something like just go back and have leftovers um yeah. but i don't remember who mentioned this and we still we, like we believed in santa but we mm-hmm. op- but like we opened presents i know what you're like, gonna say it's so contradicting. Right? Like, it's like we believed in Santa. But for, I guess for us, like Santa just came early and dropped off the gifts. <laughs> we never did the like cookies or whatever because we no. were until midnight opening presents. And like there was no presents on the 25th. All the presents got done yeah. you know, the night of the 24th or like right at midnight. So I guess I just grew up being like, yeah, Santa's real. He drops off gifts early. Like there are gifts from Santa under the tree, but we open them at midnight. That's, well, that's interesting that, oh, that's interesting because you grew up here. 
Yeah. Oh, yes. And everywhere you're getting this message of like Christmas, that's where Santa comes Christmas, where I didn't have that experience. Oh. I thought you were going to say, I thought you were going to say this, because this is what's always confusing to me. I don't know how people, you know, Santa, Santa, obviously. Mm -hmm. But we believe in baby Jesus is the one that brings you the gifts. Oh. So where does Santa fit in all this? <laughs> Like, none of it makes any sense <laughs> is santa the baby jesus or do they team up like what goes on <laughs> like a present delivering team yeah. and baby jesus <laughs> yeah it's very confusing i didn't think about it until you know i was an adult but <laughs> but like as a kid you're just like whatever presents yes I yeah don't exactly where they come from <laughs> <laughs> totally <laughs> Oh my god. Um, but that was a tradition that I thought of. Yeah. And uh, the other one was for Christmas Day for the 24th. Christmas Day for us. Um, Nochebuena, my, you know, in Nicaragua, we, we make what we call relleno, which I think that means other things in other countries. But for us is, um, it's basically the word means stuffing. Mm -hmm. But it's a different, it's a different kind of dish. It's like, it's this weird, it's going to sound weird when I describe it, but it's amazing. <laughs> and it's shredded chicken soaked in bread, milk with all kinds of condiments like ketchup, mustard, uh, onions, capers, all like, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, raisins and all kinds of different things. It wow. sounds strange. <laughs> but it's delicious <laughs> and then what do you do you bake it or yeah you put it in the oven you bake it um and it just it looks like i don't even know what it looks like there's <laughs> nothing i can compare it to but it's like it's kind of like a not a spread that's just the wrong word anyway um just look up nicaraguan relleno and uh you usually eat it as a side dish you know uh, with wow. rice and all that, with your turkey or your chicken. But the best part is the leftovers because <laughs> you can make sandwiches with that. And it's so freaking good. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. I have never heard of that. I am definitely going to Google it and look up a recipe just to like yeah, see what's so in it. It's a um, lot of work, but it's so worth it. The only thing I know about is gallo pinto, which is that rice and beans or what? Yeah, rice and beans. I feel like every country has rice and beans, which I oh, think yeah. is great. Like I'm a fan. <laughs> but do you guys do, what kind of beans do you do? We we do small red beans. And there's a big difference between the beans that you find here at the store that are red beans and the Central American Nicaraguan red beans. They're much smaller. Mm. Um, it's amazing how different the taste is. I didn't realize that until I couldn't find the beans over there. My mom would bring some of those here mm -hmm. or I would like get them at the Nicaraguan uh, store or whatever. Um, but yeah, we do small red beans here. I typically just use uh, black beans because mm -hmm. I can't get the ones I want. And th <laughs> that's like the best next choice. Yeah. So I just make black beans and rice. Nice. Yeah, it's I think it's so. Um 
I have to ask because you can't assume that everyone's beans and rice are the same. Like no, Cuban they do. You know, in Cuba they do the black beans and the white rice. In Mexico yeah. we have the the span the Mexican rice, the like orange rice and and pinto beans. Um, yeah. So it's all different. I love. I mean, it's all delicious. So I'm a fan. <laughs> yeah, I I eat I eat beans every single day. Do you I really? Can't, I can't not eat. <laughs> <laughs> I like I can't I don't know it's like the the house could be full the pantry could be full the fridge can be full and if there's no beans I'm like there's nothing to eat I don't know what to have for breakfast and it is like the easiest thing like it's just easy I recently I started doing this and then I'm literally gonna do this later today um because I grew up with my mom would always make beans on like Sunday and there's always yes there's always like a Tupperware in the fridge with beans yes and so you just like, sometimes if I just wanted a snack, I would just scoop a couple beans in a bowl, throw it in the microwave and just like eat some beans and yeah. I'm not hungry. Get a tortilla beans and you're, you're good. <laughs> One of my favorite meals is just like a bean and cheese torta. Like, oh, yum. That's it. Like I just some queso fresco and some beans. So my mom always threw um, a chile in when she oh, was, yeah. when she was refrying them. So they were like a little bit spicy and, spicy. She, and she uses, um, she doesn't do pinto beans. I don't know why she switched beans like many years ago, but she does the, um, like white beans. Really? Yeah. Interesting. That's a big difference. Yeah. Either. I mean, it's still like a little brown, but it's like a white bean. Yeah. Um, and she, yeah, she'll throw a chile when she's refrying them and that was like my favorite there I always know mm. that and she still offers to this day she's like oh do you want like when I go see her you know, so drop off like, you want some beans or do you, <laughs> do you want me to put some in a in a Tupperware for you <laughs> but so now cute. like I actually just bought my first um masher so I can do refried beans because I've done it maybe oh. three times and I was every time I'm like oh I'm gonna make some beans I'm like fuck I don't have a masher <laughs> and I just like use a fork <laughs> Oh my gosh, you can put them in a blender. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I used the fork, but now I have a masher. <laughs> well, that's probably easier. Maybe it's, oh. it'll come out different. Yeah, uh, blender. Because yeah. the blender, you have to add a little bit of water. Oh. You know, otherwise it'll be like, and it will get stuck. <laughs> I'll stick to the masher. I will yeah. stick to the masher. <laughs> Um, what are some, I guess, since we're on the topic of food, what are some of your favorite, um, Nicaraguan dishes? Oh my God. I love so many things. And the problem is that I don't eat meat anymore. I'm very, oh. very like just mostly plant-based. So it's really hard because everything's meat like heavy culture, like food culture. Yeah. Oh, like okay. meat and dairy, like hmm. super heavy. So it's really hard for me. Like because yeah everything is it's not one of those things where you can just like take the meat out <laughs> it's like it's in the dish yeah with like broth and you know grease and all kinds of stuff <laughs> so yeah um but having said that i love nakatamales which are like our version of tamales mm -hmm. um they're they're similar to salvadorian tamales um the the ones that are savory Okay. And they have like pork in there and rice and a potato and like tomato onions, like, and then some people add like capers or like uh, uh, raisins or something and chiles and stuff. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, so good. My mom makes amazing tamales. They're so good. And um, I actually, like, I was trying to think of what I love and I miss. And um, one of the things is uh, soups are so good. I love soups and I love my mom's soup. Um, and then there's this thing called quesillo, which is, it's not a meal, but it's like, it's like a snack, I guess. Mm -hmm. But they, you go and get it. It's it's not something you make at home. You could, okay. I guess, but typically you don't. Uh -huh. um, but you, they get a tortilla and then they put like this um, braided mozzarella type of cheese. Mm -hmm. And then they fill it with like crema and onions, like chopped onions, like yeah. uh, pickled onions. Oh, okay. And then some chiles in there. <gasps> that sounds so good. And it's warm too. Oh my God. Oh my God. It's divine oh so it's like the melty like cheese for like quesadillas kind of it's, no, it's kind oh, of it's rubbery like, like okay. it's kind of rubbery when you eat it it's not like melted oh uh, interesting. It, I, it's so good it's like a giant cheese taco <laughs> <laughs> or like sort of sort of because it's kind of rolled in, into a in a bag you eat it in a bag oh they sell it in a bag yeah it's so good. I'm going to have to look this up. I wonder if there's yeah. any Nicaraguan restaurants around here. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I know for a fact there are. I'm jealous because the closest one we have is in San Francisco. Yeah, I don't make it. I don't make it up there. <laughs> I'm going to look them up. Um, have you been back to Nicaragua since you moved here? Yeah, last time we went was uh, 2000, probably like seven years ago or so. Mm -hmm um and then we were gonna go back but then everything happened with all the the whole political thing and uh daniel ortega over there the presidents what, what happened they, i have no idea <laughs> well they started the students started um protesting and then it just broke into the full-on like basically civil war kind of thing um oh. is it was awful there was riots people like it's very similar to what's happening here but it's actually very similar to what happened in uh, Venezuela mm. if you remember some of the stuff I don't know if you know but um so yeah there's just the whole like him being in power and then not wanting to step down and then um yeah like people basically like the people are just getting or were I don't know if they still are like there was just a whole mess of things murders oh, horrible horrible i can't wow. i can't even you know tell you because i'm not super informed as to mm -hmm. what happened but or what is happening but it was pretty horrible for like a whole year you know where you couldn't even go out or what's that what year was this <sighs> i say two years ago but it's still yeah. happening like nothing wow. has changed and he's supposed to be there up until next this year i think hmm. i think this year the election so we'll see what happens yeah wow no i had no idea and that's you know i think that's a problem i think mm -hmm. we don't really hear about at least in mainstream like american media we no. you know you have to go out of your rare. way yeah it's very rare that we um learn about what's happening in, in other countries um even when there's a, a natural disaster, it's just like yeah. a blip 
and then that's it. Like, you know, you, you do, you're right. You have to go out of your way to, to learn and, and to be aware of what's going on around the world. So that's horrible. I hope things yeah. improve. I'm definitely going to look into that because I feel like I should know what's happening. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some people had to flee other people like just were thrown in jail and um, kidnapped. And I mean, there was just all kinds of things just wow basically people were like locked in they couldn't do anything you can't yeah. speak out about the government otherwise you get arrested or murdered or who knows wow um people are coming in the cops are coming into your house and you know without any warning or any reason and you have to give up whatever they ask for i mean it's just it's so sad jesus yeah. well yes i will look into um ways to help and if there's any organizations we'll definitely include that in the show notes so i will have some research to do after this um but thank you for for sharing that because again i don't think a lot of people you know know what's going on down there so it's it's good to know and and thank you for for sharing that um really bad segue but <laughs> let's go <laughs> That's okay. I didn't plan to go into that because I'm not super informed. And also, you know, honestly, there's just so much going on everywhere. Yeah. You know, in the Middle East here, everywhere, Africa, I mean, ev literally everywhere that it's just so hard to keep up and it's so overwhelming. You know, but I think it's, um, I think it's okay for us to discuss something that I think not knowing everything about a topic holds us back from discussing yes. it. Cause you know, we don't really like, I don't want to share wrong information or mm -hmm. I don't want to, you know what I mean? But I think that I, I know it holds me back and I'm, I'm trying to be a little better about just like asking the question or be like, I heard this and this, you know, that's all I know. Does anyone else know anything? And I think maybe doing that will help more people be aware or at least like pique people's curiosity to keep yeah. looking into different things. Cause yes, you're right. There's stuff going around all around the world. And I know every time that like a friend of mine um, posts about Palestine or something happened in Palestine, mm -hmm. I'm like, definitely not on my radar. Like, yes, I've never, you know, thought about Palestine ever let me google that quickly and at least like learn what happened or whatnot so yeah I think I think it's okay for us to to discuss even though if we don't know all the facts like maybe don't go you know crazy spreading false information yeah yeah <laughs> but it's more as like a a conversation starter or a I, I heard this is happening let's let's look into it so yeah or at least some help other people like get curious about yeah it. Totally. So thank you for bringing that up. Um, so I'm actually really curious because you said you joined the Air Force at 17. So you went through school in Miami, then you joined the Air Force. What led you to what like what made you join the Air Force? <laughs> oh, every time I'm asked this question, I honestly don't remember. <laughs> I think my theory <laughs> is that I was so I I hated, hated, it's such a strong word, but that's how I felt about school. Mm -hmm. I hated school. I can't tell you why. I felt like, I honestly feel so bad for kids because I know how bad it was for me. The, the thing what killed me about school was the routine. I felt I was like just trapped in this, I have to do this mm -hmm. now. Like I have to go to school because this is what happens in life. You, yeah. 
and I felt really trapped in this routine and I hated it. I hated my school. I hated everything about it. I didn't hate learning. I just didn't like the environment. I didn't like the routine. And I didn't want to do that again in college. I was just so done with school. So I didn't know what to do. I didn't, I also was never one of those people that was like, oh, I'm gonna be, you know, whatever. Like I had no career in mind at all. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Um, so my cousin told me she was joining the Air Force and I was shocked because she's not one of those people that you would ever imagine would join the military at all. So I was like, wait, if you're going to do it, why are you doing it? So she told me why and like the benefits of it and all these things. So I was, I had so many questions and I was like, she was like, just come with me and talk to the recruiter and ask him the question. So I went and I was like, well, this sounds great. Like I could just work and go to, I can get an admin job and then they'll pay me, they'll pay for my school and they'll pay me for just working. Sure. Why not? Mm -hmm. And, um, I also knew that like, I didn't want to go to school in Miami if I did, cause I was, I didn't want to see the same, I didn't want to have the same experience with the same people. I think I was just sick of Miami for some reason. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just wanted out. I wanted something different. Yeah. So I joined and, uh, yeah, that was like probably the best thing I've ever done. <laughs> I think if I do it again, I would probably do it again, even though I didn't like, I wasn't, even though like the military was a good experience, it's not something that I wanted to stay in, mm -hmm. but it helped me get out of there. Yeah. How long were you in the Air Force? Eight years. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So for someone who doesn't know, myself included, I actually <laughs> It's, you go do you have to do the whole like basic training and all of that as well yeah yeah you have to do yeah everybody that joins has to go through basic training and then you have to go to technical school which is where you learn what you're going to be hmm. doing as a career oh okay and then you go to your like first duty station where you actually start working and you're part of the you know um yeah you're enlisted you're Mm -hmm. you're working full-time what did you what was your job or did you have several different ones no my job was administration so it was like a combination it was called um information oh my gosh I don't even remember but um <laughs> the title of it but um it was basically half admin and then half like computer person okay. <laughs> where I I did a lot of um uh, I was like the admin center for any organization. And then um, if any, there was any computer issues, I was kind of like the middleman between me and then the tech people. Mm -hmm. So I would do a lot of updates on the computers or like f try to figure out what's wrong. And then if I couldn't figure out, then I would go and call the tech support. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I guess I think people... Or like immediately people are like, oh, you're joining the military or you must get shipped off to war or to, you know, mm -hmm. something or some someplace else. And so it's, it's interesting that, yes, there are people that have kind of those day to day jobs. You're yeah. at a base. Did you travel? Did you get stationed around different places? Like, where were you? Um, just a couple. But to answer that uh, point, I think most people are 
the day-to-day and the mm-hmm. people that get shipped off to quote-unquote war or conflict is um you know it doesn't happen every day so a lot of your job is basically at the same duty station mm-hmm. unless you're deployed you know for a specific reason um or for training or something like that mm-hmm. but um yeah i my first duty station was in omaha nebraska and i was there for five years and I was going to, I was ready to get out because I was so sick and tired of Omaha and I wanted to go overseas. Mm-hmm. And I had been trying to go overseas for a couple of years. And for some reason, um, I wasn't getting picked. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay, well, I'm, I was to the point where I, my four years was coming up. No, like I had to decide whether um, I could, I needed to re-enlist for another four or I needed to get out so I had to figure out which one to do and um I had decided I was like well maybe I could just stay in Nebraska and go to school and get my degree and then be done um or uh stay in Nebraska serving the rest of the time Mm -hmm. but uh then I got these orders to West Virginia and I was so disappointed because I was like all of my my dream list, you know, which is like this submission you you put in where you wish to go. And if there's a slot where you are, um, you know, where where you have the skills for it, then they, you know, they send you off. But um, I got West Virginia and I had all of like I had like the Netherlands and Turkey and like (laughs) all these different overseas locations. And I got sent to West Virginia. (laughs) <laughs> so I was so mad um, and uh, but I ended up choosing West Virginia and just saying like okay I'm just gonna ride it out for the next few years and then just leave hoping that after that location in West Virginia that they would send me overseas right but um that didn't happen so I was like okay I'm out <laughs> how often would you say is there an average like how often people move because you sign up for like four years at a time right but is there like do some people just stay in the same place for all four years or is it expected that you're going to be bounced around or is it just like depending on a bunch of different things yeah it depends on a bunch of different things but it's expected that you'd be moving around at least every two to three years Mm -hmm. um but i think it depends also on your um career field so i think for mine um for for my career field it didn't seem like we were those people that came and went often whereas I actually sat on this you know on my office and I was you know onboarding all of the new people to the organization and stuff so um, I saw a lot of people come and go within like two years and so that was really frustrating because I had been there for like so long you know so it depends on that it depends on your career field it depends on how long um, you've been there and depends on like what um, wh- what positions are open that you best qualify in. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of different things. Gotcha. Um, how, when it comes to getting deployed to like conflict or, or whatever it is, um, who decides that? Like, is it just if it's your turn, you go or like, how does that work? I don't know, to be honest. Um, I, it's probably something, some of the same uh, requirements where, mm-hmm. 
like who's eligible depending on their um uh, sorry who's eligible depending on the requirements right you know, that they yeah. need to fill the position um yeah i don't know okay i don't know yeah interesting i just i always wondered i was like how come some people seem to go you know do they like sign up to go yeah you can sign up too okay so you can volunteer um uh if let's say if if somebody um gets picked and maybe they don't want to go um perhaps somebody can take their place if they volunteer that could happen um or you can just volunteer and be at the top of the list um that was also all of this what i'm saying it was like when i was in that was like right you know i got out in 2009 so it's been a while so i don't know how things have changed but that was my experience yeah interesting oh yeah i think it's you know unless you know someone in the military i think or unless you're like interested in it and have looked into it i think it's a big mystery on like how it works oh, like the fact that people do have you know quote unquote regular jobs they just happen to be like on base and within the military yeah. um so yeah my um uh i lived on was it on base? Yeah, I lived on base for a little bit with my sister when oh, I was really? younger. Um, yeah, and it was the first time that I like went to, I forgot what it's called. What's the store called? The like grocery store? The commissary? Yes. And I was like, how, why is everything like so cheap? And like just all the I know. <laughs> all the differences. I was like, what is this? <laughs> Which base did you go to? Um, Fort Hood in Texas. Okay. Yeah, so it was a, an army base. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, very. I think we have, I think we have an air force base in my hometown in San Pedro, uh, Fort MacArthur. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that's there are a few people that I um, went to school with that uh, their their families are, are military families. So yeah, um, yeah, very very interesting. And again, big mystery I think to a lot of people unless mm-hmm. you you know someone who's in it or or whatnot but i think it you know i don't know if it's positioned as an option enough i think you know looking back now i mean we're both in our 30s and and looking back and you're just like oh my god i can't believe they expect like 16 17 year olds to like decide what they want to do for a living oh yeah so immediately or like go into debt getting a, yes. a college degree where like college isn't for everyone like I didn't go to college um you know and I have I have a career and you know a lot of these tech people didn't go to college either yeah. like they they got into college and then they left and like did something else and so I think it's it's interesting but I think it should be a a bigger conversation and like at least showing people that that they have options whether it's showing you know teenagers that hey if you don't know what you want to do like maybe the military is a great option for you you go for four years you you learn a trade you know you learn a skill and then you do get these so they did pay for your college afterwards right yeah yeah if i i don't think that i would have been able to go to that school at least Mm -hmm. um if i hadn't you know if i didn't have that because I had nothing. My mom had nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I had absolutely nothing. So I, I would have probably gone to community college, and then who knows what. Yeah. But to to talk about what you were going to touch on, what you just said, um, the a big problem in the in the military is with these kids that go in. 
it's unfortunately they're so young and perhaps they come from I mean, it doesn't really matter, like whether you come from, you know, a family that doesn't have enough and then they end up going there for whatever reason, for resources or so, or whatever the reason they join. A lot of people, it's, you know, they're young kids. So it's their first time being away from home on their own, independent from any adult mm -hmm. at all. So they start getting this money and they have no idea how to use it. Like you said, a lot of people end up in debt or they end up just doing really stupid things. Um, they get in trouble. They don't realize the responsibility that they have, you know, by being in the military or maybe they do and they just don't care. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of kids that just end up making really, really, really terrible decisions mm -hmm. um, when they're, you know, not even 20 years old or like, you know, early 20s yeah. um whether it's like getting in debt or spending all their money on like really stupid stuff and then not knowing how to what to deal with that how to deal with that yeah or like and ending up getting married and then <laughs> getting a divorce because they don't you know just either out of convenience or whatever it is it's just a lot of really bad decisions there's no education uh, or transition from going you know, from living with your parents and having them take care of you or whatever to mm -hmm. going fully independent and, you know, being a responsible adult in the military. Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of times where you see very unqualified people doing jobs that you're just like, I don't think this person should be doing that, you know, or are responsible for that kind of thing. So there's a lot of that. Yeah. Unfortunately. Because the thing with the military, though, the, the thing is, on the outside world, yeah, you can do all of that and get in trouble and you're fired and whatever, you're going to have to go and find another job or whatever. That doesn't happen in the military. Mm. You get in trouble and you have to stay there or unless you get in real trouble, then you're kicked out. But, you know, if 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 it's handling your own money and it's not affecting your work, it doesn't matter. Right. You know? nobody knows perhaps but so yeah I, I just think like a lot of times you're kind of stuck in there because you know mm -hmm. they basically own your life like you're yeah, you have, you you're getting paid basically yeah 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 unless you do something on purpose to get out mm -hmm. um yeah so I think um you know and there's a lot of chances that are given too so I don't know like when I think about it, there's there are too many there's too many opportunities to mess up, and there's not enough people that care mm. that go out of their way or or like organizations to help you unless you're the one that looks for that help. Yeah, I don't I don't know I don't know what the solution would be, but yeah, there's just yeah I think it's it's tough and it's I mean. The military itself is a, a its own unique environment with totally. you know yeah. a whole its own mindset and everything so yeah it's it's an interesting um interesting i don't know if to call it an industry it's an interesting organization um and even the different branches in itself mm, yeah and exactly. they all have their own cultures and and all of that stuff so yeah it's you know it's interesting and it's 
I think there's a lot of work and evolution that can be done there to really help their people because some, you know, a lot of people do go in and like, this is what they want to do and they have a passion for it. And it's Mm -hmm. just making sure that they succeed, not just in their field, but also as, as people. And I think maybe that's something that, that can be done across the board. I think a lot of the time we're just seen as like workers or like this employee or whatever, but it's right. It's throwing in that human element that I think um, is missing from from a lot of industries. Yeah, and I, it's my experience too. So I, yeah. I can only speak to what I saw. I know there's people that have had, I mean, I had a good experience generally. So, <laughs> but I see those things and um, yeah, like you said, it's, it's gonna vary depending on where you are. Definitely. Um, so once you got out of the Air Force, you went to school where you went to the Academy of Art, Academy of Art, right? In San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And you studied graphic design, which is very exciting. Yeah. I'm always astounded by people that can just like create something gorgeous. <laughs> so kudos to you. Um, what kind of what drove you to to study that or what led you to to the Academy? Oof. Um, when I was on my last duty station, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do because I knew I was going to get out. Mm-hmm. So my, I met my husband there. So our plan was to come back to uh, California. He's, he's from here, from the Bay oh. Area. So, and he had decided he was going to go to Berkeley. And um, then somehow he came across the Academy of Art and they, he found out there's a new music um, program was opening up. So I looked to see what they had, what else they had. And I saw that, you know, cause I couldn't do what I wanted to do. So then I was like, what else can I do? And then I saw they had a graphic design degree. Mm-hmm. And I had, I remember I had kind of thought about it before, like a few years before. Um, but I don't remember how that even came about. Like, I don't remember why I even thought of graphic design. And um, I, I knew like I wanted to do something creative as well. Like that's part of, that's in me, but I didn't know, like I knew it was an art cause I wasn't that interested in art. <laughs> um, so I don't know, somehow I, I, that sounded really interesting to me. And then, so I, I looked at the program and it sounded really cool. And all I could think of was like, great, I'm gonna design like, album covers and posters and t-shirts and so I was like I'm in which is <laughs> definitely nothing that I've ever done <laughs> um so yeah that's kind of how I made the decision nice and so now you have your own like branding and design business which I think is amazing um how did you come and it it does have a focus and you say on your website it's the focus of helping um, women of color and, and solopreneurs. How did that come to be your focus? Like what led you to be like, this is who I want to focus on, on helping. It was, it was a little bit of, a like, I kind of had to like find my way into that. It wasn't like something I just like decided to from the beginning. Um, so I kind of grew into it, I guess. Um, oh, I first decided on women because that's, everybody who I was meeting in these networking groups. And I really loved like having those um, relationships. Mm -hmm. So then um, uh, little by little, 
I started thinking of um, basically like why, figuring out my why for, for what I was doing. And, um, you know, at first it felt like, um, you know, I just wanted to help people, but then it, things started getting a little bit narrow, not narrow. I started narrowing down like what I wanted to focus on who and why. And to me, it came down from feeling like me feeling confused and sort of navigating my business in a way that didn't have like a, a vision or like a path. It just felt very confused and lonely and stuff like that. Yeah. So I didn't want people to feel that way in their business. And so I heavily focused on like having um, a vision and having a purpose with the business that you are building so that you're not um, overwhelmed and like feeling confused every day. You know exactly what you're uh, working towards. And then in figuring that out, like the next step was like thinking of, you know, I had to, I had to really think about that. I had to really think about who I am because at that point my identity wasn't part of my business. I had separated that so much that I, I didn't even think about it. And, um, so I think like as women of color, we have this constant narrative, or at least I do. And I know a lot of people can relate to where you grew up having to live other people's expectations of you. Mm -hmm. um, we don't have to do that. Like we have to figure out what we want. And that also like the belief that we could carve our own path and follow our own vision mm -hmm. um, and also that we have um, enough within us to do that and that we don't have to depend on other people to do that and if I could just I just felt like I wanted to inspire and encourage other people even though I haven't like fully gotten there yet I know because I see other people doing it I know the need for us being like in the spotlight and also like uplifting each other and like helping each other along the way. Mm -hmm. um, like if I can just be part of that journey, to me, that's a lot more meaningful than, you know, designing for real estate, <laughs> you yeah. know? Um, and then at the same time, um, when I was decided, when I was designing for real estate, I just felt like something was missing as I transitioned from that to just doing branding. I was very broad with who I was trying to attract and really not even thinking of the purpose of my business or just in my life in general. Um, but I knew that I wanted to do work that was gonna you know, be more meaningful to me and feel more fulfilling. So even though I did a few branding projects at the beginning, I just felt like okay, well, I give them this like beautiful brand. And then what, like, what impact did I make? Yeah, you know, and how did it help them? Uh, a lot of times people move on from, um, you know, having had their branding done, and then they don't know what to do with that, or you don't know what impact you made. So I kind of started digging into the person and the story behind who they are. So working through the brand strategy part um, where it helps to get to know the person and understand like their purpose mm -hmm. and 
how they're bringing that into their business so that they can make an impact somehow in the world through who they are and their skill set um, and their message. So to me, it's that it's like, how can I be part of the impact that you're trying to make? Because as a that's how we work as a collective mm-hmm. by supporting each other and helping like spread that message and empowering other people to kind of, you know, be who they are fully at the same time, like really, um, you know, leaving something behind that's going to better our world in in whatever way or impact somebody's life. Yeah. So that's kind of what I was after, um, selfishly looking for <laughs> fulfillment, <laughs> but at the same time knowing that you can't really do that alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love I love that, and I love what you said. Um, I feel like I can specifically relate to. Um, you know, it's one thing to do something and to do it well. It's another thing to do something, do it well, and be able to have a personal connection with it. Like that just hits differently. You know, like you, you can be great at branding and you can brand a bunch of projects that again, like you'll, you don't even interact with and you have no personal connection with it's, it's definitely more fulfilling personally. And I think you know, this, this may not be the case for everyone. Um, but I, I think it is the case for you and I were like, as you get older and you're like, okay, well, I've done all these like awesome things. And now like, I think it's great to keep evolving your purpose and keep evolving mm-hmm. what fulfills you and like, not be afraid to change that up. You know, it's, you're not always going to want to do and do the same things or at least like do them in the same way. And I think, yeah, it's good to always check in with yourself and be like, what is, what is my purpose? What are my goals? Mm -hmm. What are my intentions? Whether it's personally or in business, you know, you're lucky enough to have um, your own business and, you know, you work very hard at it. So I think it's great that you, you are taking the time to really establish, like, these are the people I want to help. And this is how I want to help them. Um, I think it's, I think it's amazing. I think you're right. I think we should, you know, especially as, as women of color, we should be lifting each other up and helping each other out. And, you know, there's, there's room for everyone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love that the, the room for everyone. And that's kind of, it's, it's really funny because this is kind of like anti-branding, you know, <laughs> or marketing, uh, where it's like, I don't think of, especially, I'm, and I'm talking about personal branding, mm-hmm. um, competition, you know, like that's really hard for me to, um, to say like, who's your competitor or this and that, like, I understand what that means, you know, I I get it. But I almost feel like, because of how, what I go through the process of um, sort of understanding what your unique uh, view is, what you bring to the table, like what you're really special or good at, um, and like what your message is, it's never going to be the same as other people. Mm-hmm. And I understand we need to look at the industry and see how other people are positioning themselves. Yes, that's sure. very important. But when it comes to competition, um, and you know, I'm, I'm, sh- I'm, I'm happy to, I'm open to like learning and changing my perspective. But right now I feel like the competition, like I've experienced, you know, uh, the community that I've been part of with brand strategy and design, um, 
we essentially are all competitors, but mm -hmm. we're constantly helping each other and learning from each other. And there's, n there's never been a time where I felt jealousy because they're going to take away my clients or, you know, that kind of thing, mm -hmm. because everybody's so different and their process is so different. And what they do is just, it's so different. And even the people that are trying to attract is so different. So I think just getting out of that mindset that, you know, that maybe there's not enough for you or that, um, you know, like people are taking away from you mm -hmm. and just thinking of it differently. Um, that's really important to me, even though, yes, I understand we have to talk about positioning and all that. And that's great. But yeah, I don't I'm like the idea of competition, especially against women, especially against women of color, against other yeah, women of color. Totally. I completely agree. I think, you know, if you think about it in terms of like a product standpoint, how many different gray, you know, how many different companies are there that produce like gray couches? You know <laughs> what I mean? And like, they're all in business and they're literally offering just about the same thing. But like when it comes to, you know, entrepreneurs and like coaches or strategists or whatever, you know, whatever it is, you know, what, what we do, um, you're right. It is your experience that you're bringing to it. You know, yeah. that's what people are, are looking for. And so, yes, while your services may be, you know, very similar, it's still your unique perspective is there. You know, it's what's that quote? If, if you're not reading something you want or like no one can write the same book as you. Mm -hmm. um, so, yes, I I'm a firm believer in and there's room for everyone because we're all different people um, that bring something unique. It, it may be similar and that's a great way to find community, but that shift in mindset and, and perspective just makes it a happier experience instead of being like, this is my piece, like don't steal my piece. Like I'm not gonna, I don't wanna talk to you. I don't wanna work with you. You're not my community because <laughs> yeah. you're gonna steal my clients. Like that's such a negative place to yes, be it and it's like, you know like who wants to be there why don't we just look at each other as, as community and let's you're you know let's lift each other up and I feel like that's just a happier place yeah. to be in general if we all grow together there's nothing to lose exactly 100 percent um let's end off on a helpful note um if you could give <laughs> anyone who's starting a business a piece of of branding advice um what would you give them or what would you Ooh, say? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> I would actually say if, if you're just starting out, I would say don't invest in branding. Like don't invest in a designer, I should say, hmm. right away. Um, you can do really, really well by just typing out your logo and uh you know getting some templates from you know canva or creative market and just get started that way mm -hmm. because to me what's more important is figuring out your internal branding whereas that's your external branding your external branding would be like your logo your visual everything that people see your colors and stuff i think a lot of people get caught up on that stuff and then they figure it, they, it freezes them up and they feel like they can't just show up but truly what people gravitate towards um, is your story 
your your why what's your purpose what mission what um you're trying to accomplish so if you can figure that out start figure like start laying a foundation for your brand like get to know who you're trying to work with don't be afraid to experiment if you haven't really found those people because that's how you'll get to know who you really like working with and for um by just being open to experimenting so mm -hmm. i would say don't spend money on hiring a designer yet because you can save that money and start focusing on laying out your foundation mm -hmm. once you understand that it's so much more impactful to hire somebody who can help you bring your vision and what you're about into into your brand visually that's yeah. what i would say i i think that's that's great advice i totally agree and also you're not going to stay with your same branding forever. Like yeah. brands, no matter how established, will change up their logo, change up their look all the time. And, and that's okay. And I think you're right. I think people freeze up thinking I'm, I'm going to launch this. It's, it has to be perfect. Does this encompass everything I'm trying to do when they're still trying to figure out what they're trying to do? And yeah. you're right. It's, it can be a hindrance. I think that's, that's great advice. Thank you so much for sharing. That. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate this. Thank you clubhouse for bringing us together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs>